asking that question simply, how do you want me to show up for this? And we go into fix it mode. You being a mindset person, like you being focused mm-hmm. in NLP and coaching people, like we go into this coaching mindset. Oh, I can help with that. Because just the solution's give... so clear when it you're is. not in the problem. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am super excited for my guest today, a really good friend of mine, somebody who has been on the podcast before in an episode that was so long we had to make it into two episodes. Zach Knight is one of my closest friends. He is an incredible veteran, human being. He's an individual who has focused his life on business and leadership and just an incredible person. So first of all, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our first episode because a lot of the intro to Zach and how he got to where he was a couple of years ago are going to be there. However, it's been a good year and a half since Zach and I released that episode. And so I wanted to give him an opportunity to come on and update us on what's going on in his life, especially what's going on in his new book, The Legacy of Love, where Zach actually tells his story um, about going from trauma and healing and learning and coming to a place where he loves himself. And that's so incredible because I love him to death. He is so much of, he's been a part of basically my entire journey. So I'm super, super excited to introduce Zach Knight to you guys. Before we jump on and do that, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Break Your Bullshit Box group coaching program. Break your bullshit box. What does that mean? We all have the excuses. We all have the reasons that we haven't made it to the level of success that we want to get to. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough knowledge. I'm not good enough. Things like this happen to everybody else. They don't happen to me. Whatever the excuse is, it is time for us to break that so that you can have the the success that you want to have. If you are wondering why your life and business has not made it to the level of success that you would want it to, then let's sit down and have a conversation about how to make that happen. Head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com, click the link to get on my calendar, and let's talk about how you can start living a life that you absolutely love. And without further ado, let's talk to Zach. Zach, what's going on, man? How are you? How's it going? I love how like nice you were about that when in reality, I like twisted your arm to get back on the show. No, you did not twist my arm. We just had to reschedule a couple (laughs) of times. Here's the problem. Every time you and I sit down to record, we bullshit for 17 hours and then we never hit record. So it's probably not even recording right now, if we're being honest. Like the live audience better enjoy this. (laughs) It's recording only because it always does. Um, (laughs) Zach and I were gonna host a co-host a podcast together, and we went as far as getting the first episode ready and on the books. And then we talked for two and a half hours before we recorded, and then we were both out of time and we never rescheduled. So yeah. It was a great adventure for us. It really was. And when we finally get off of our asses and do it, it's still going to be a great podcast. (laughs) So I mentioned in the intro that you um, did a guest spot on this podcast back about a year and a half ago, and it was two episodes that were my absolute favorite. However, you and I were both completely different people a year and a half ago than we are now. So why don't we introduce everybody to the new Zach Knight? Um, Tell everybody a little bit about what you do and who you are and the leadership side of things and a couple sentences about who Zach is now. Uh, Yeah. Um, 
obviously the greatest guest you've ever had on your show um, to start. <laughs> and delusional. Um, no. <laughs> and delusional. Very delusional. Um, it was all the explosions in Afghanistan. Um, no, uh, I recently opened business number seven. Uh, I have a lot going in the veteran space here in Atlanta. Um, a, a big space of it is, is I was a police officer here in Atlanta, did all the fun stuff, SWAT, narcotics and gang investigations. Left that to deploy with the Army. Uh, we deployed with the Green Berets in 2019, did a lot of really amazing things um, with the Army, uh, but got injured, which kind of led to where we're at with the book. It's about where the book actually picks up. It is right about the injury and the discovery of the injury and uh, the, the dark places there. Um, thankfully, rebounded quite a bit, and you were, you were right in the middle of all that. You were there when a lot of that was happening. Um, and, and, you know, these days I'm really focused in, in amazing things. Seven businesses sounds like a lot, but I've moved out of six of them actually, and really focused on the seventh, the 501c for better business owners. And a lot with the book, this book, uh, as we talked about before we hit live, like it's an endeavor. Books okay. are an endeavor. And here we are talking about it. Yeah. You know, Zach and I met 2019 or was it 18, 19? Mm. It was 19, right after, yeah. like within a month or two of me getting back from Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah. So we met in 2019 at a networking event. And we just, here's what's so interesting, I think, about our friendship is that in all reality, on paper, you and I are as different as two people could possibly be. I'm from... nice. You're mean. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, going back from, you know, life experiences to what we thought we were going to do with our lives to um, political beliefs to all of the things. You and I are completely different, yet we can sit down and have some of the best conversations. And that's something that I've always appreciated about you. So I know with such a um, focus on leadership and the self-love we're going to get to in a minute. Such a focus on leadership, the ability to be able to see multiple points of view, be able to listen to others, take that in, and then give an articulate response that respects somebody else's point of view while dismissing it and doing what you want at the same time is an art form. Do you feel like this is something you've always been good at? So I guess to rephrase the question, have you always been a really good bullshitter or did that come from the military? Where do you think that came from? Uh, oh man. Well, it's funny. And I think I said this on the first time I came on the show my, my parents, my mom specifically, always told me that she thought I was going to be an attorney because I love to argue. I just love to be like the contrarian in the conversation. Um, so I, maybe it was part of something that happened early on, but really it was law enforcement. And, and you know how it is in that world. You got mm -hmm. to be able to think on your feet. You got to be able to think critically. You got to be able to say things that diffuse situations. Um, unfortunately, I happen to be really amused when they... Um, Instead of defusing situations, I say things that create a little <laughs> bit more uh, amusement out of things. Um, but no, I, I think bullshitting and, and really being able to talk and communicate to people and, and with people is a it's a great space to be in where um, you can say some things that kind of steer a conversation and influence. Right, that's what leadership yeah. is. Point simple. So be able to influence conversation to get people to understand. So. I would say I learned it early on in law enforcement, uh, polished it up when I went through Dale Carnegie and got certified in the Dale Carnegie programs and then really perfected it in Afghanistan, uh, where in my mind, if you can say two words and people respond under gunfire, uh, that's influence, that's leadership. And they don't question you. They trust you. They know which direction you're going and they trust that direction. Um, and, and when you have... 40 guys assigned to you that are doing that and you have two months to figure out how the hell you're going to get that type of trust with them. Uh, it shifts the dynamic of what leadership and influence really is. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. It was really interesting for me the first time that I heard somebody talk about the way boot camp is the way that it is. And for me, I always thought that when I looked at people who were going through boot camp, I saw the physical side of it. I saw that they were preparing them for the physical challenges that were going to come along. But then I talked to somebody who was actually a drill sergeant in the Marines. And he told me that he has six, eight, sometimes 12 weeks 
to take people from all different backgrounds and make them trust each other so much that they would literally put their lives on the line for each other. And the only way that he, they could think to do that in the short amount of time they had was to give them a common enemy, which was a drill sergeant. And I think that when we take that idea as leadership and we look at the problem that we're solving for our clients as the common enemy, and we get to put ourselves not on the opposite side of a problem to them, but on the same side of finding a solution to that problem for them, it changes the way that we approach things. And I feel like this is something you've always been really good at. And the, we've talked about you approaching problem solving the same way. How has this impacted the way that you show up for your clients? You know, it's funny. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was Steve Jobs, um, Buffett, somebody that was one of those high-end business owners. They were in an interview and one of the, the interviewer asked one of the questions was, why is it that you're such an asshole? Why does everybody hate you? And they said that exact feedback. If they all hate me together, they're focused on a mission together. And I think that's like the best way to encapsulate things. I don't want people to hate me necessarily, but at the end of the day, finding a, a rallying cause, what are, what's everybody going to get around to rally together to move forward? Uh, it's a really interesting lesson, definitely in, in boot camp. Uh, my drill sergeants were younger than I was by the time I joined. And um, I'm looking at these, these kids more or less, <laughs> right? Mid twenties. They're all they know is a uniform. They've never deployed. They're in a training environment. I'm like, I was just like doing really cool SWAT stuff last week, more than you've ever done in your life. And you're going to yell at me and make me do push-ups. Um, so it was a very humbling experience, but it also was one of those things, right? They, they used me as an example. They punished me extra. I got, I got smoked because uh, the Falcons lost the Super Bowl. And I'm from Atlanta and I got punished for that because it's our, I had corrective action for the Falcons sucking and giving <laughs> up a really great lead. Um, not punishment, corrective action. Um, of course, because we don't punish. We don't punish, no. Um, but it was one of those that, you know, they they influenced me to influence others and yeah. you know, the, that level of leadership attached to it. So it became a rallying cause attached to if anybody was screwing something up or if somebody wasn't acting right, I'm going to handle it because then I don't get in trouble. And if you keep feeding that forward, it, it becomes a really big piece of like, hey, guys, let's show them um, as a team who's the most dynamic piece here. So when you think about when you apply to business now, um, if you and your, your clients are working through something, y'all can team up together, be that guide, be that resource for them. It shifts the dynamic where there's a different level of loyalty and trust that gets developed with that, right? It allows you to uh, they t everybody talks about raving fans. You have to develop raving fans, but never nobody ever tells you how to do it. Well, that's how you do it. You, you create a uniting cause between not just you, but you, your community, your mastermind, people, everybody that's in that group, right? You create a rallying cause together and you all move together. It shifts the dynamic. That's what you're all going to accomplish. But also, like, they keep staying part of your community because they're all banded together and it becomes a family. Um, and, and that's the big shift, right? That's where the raving fans come from. It's no longer, I have this amazing client that talks me up all the time. It's like, I've got this guy I'm drinking a beer with later. Oh, he happens to pay me for this, this, and this, but like, mm -hmm. he's my boy, right? And it shifts the dynamic for you. Yeah, it really does. I remember a coach saying to me once, sometimes my clients love me. Sometimes they laugh with me. Sometimes they cry with me. Sometimes they swear at me. At the end of the day, they always thank me. And I thought that's so powerful because I grew up never wanting anybody to be mad at me, right? Which I know that so many people listening Huge to this podcast pleaser. felt the people same pleaser, way. Yeah. And I would go out of my way and give up the things that I wanted in my life to please other people. And um, I saw a meme maybe a year ago, and it was a complete empty room with white walls, like laboratory white walls. And it said, this room is full of all the things that the people who's the other people's opinions have paid for for you. And I thought, well, fuck, right? So when you have that person that you're working with as a coach or a mentor or a leader that continues to get in their own way, 
because of this people pleasing, and I, this is transitioning a little bit into your book because kind of that bottom line is a lot of times people don't love themselves enough. So they need other people to love them. And that shows up as people pleasing. So where did you start in starting to fill yourself with enough love to where other people's opinions didn't matter to you? It's a great question. And I don't know that it correlates for me, to be honest. Um, there's a, to me, there's a difference of loving myself enough to not let somebody else's opinion impact me compared to caring about others, people's opinion um, completely. Right. So it's not that I don't care about opinions and it, it, it's funny, this book, um, I still owe you a copy because Amazon logistics suck these days, but it, <laughs> it, it's one of those, this book, like it, it starts off with me talking about being terrified and I, you know, my, my story and I, I tell every, I tell every bit of it and I go hard in the first 20 pages, 15 pages. The intro is a little bit lengthy, uh, but I go hard and it, it's setting up like, Hey, uh, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And if you love or accept me, cool. If you don't cool, uh, that sucks. And I hate being judged. And I had a couple uh, breakdowns of, of, of concern attached to not what it wasn't that I cared what people thought about me. It's that I was worried if people thought a certain way about me, how would that impact the ventures I'm involved with? Mm -hmm. The 501c I'm just launching. Are people not going to want to do business with me? Am I going to lose clients? Am I going to tar my clients' relationships because they're dealing with me and I'm this guy now? So it wasn't yeah. that I, I was worried about the impact of myself. It turned into being worried about the impact of others attached to what I was doing. Um, so I don't think there's necessarily a shift in not caring about other people's opinions. I would like to say I don't care about opinions. We I just know don't you let do. them. I do a hundred percent. And I think it's, we it's all human, do, right? We all do. It's human nature. You have to like, especially the people you actually care about in life. You know, it's one thing if a stranger judges you is another thing if your significant other judges you. Um, but the reality of it was I had to be confident enough and know myself enough to be confident in the pieces of myself that it wasn't going to influence me anymore. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to be a people pleaser. It's one of my saboteurs. Um, there's a great, uh, assessment about your saboteurs and being people pleasers, my top saboteur as well as a high achiever. So my high achieving is I have to have mass success and I see mass success through pleasing other people. And if I'm not pleasing other people on a high level, I'm not feeling fulfilled. So yeah. it's really like a double-edged sword attached to it. But what I had to realize is like, I can do my damnedest attached to making sure everybody's pleased around me, but it's not going to influence me anymore. And that was something that like therapy, honestly, going to therapy was one of the greatest things. And you were there during a lot of that where I started therapy and I was going through a rocky road and a rocky relationship. And, um, you know, he highlighted that for me attached to you can care what they think. Just don't let it influence yes. the path that you're on when you're confident about the path that you're on. Get that shining light, get that lighthouse, go toward that North Star and don't let other people in their opinion influence that care about it understand it but don't let it influence your direction if you're going in the right direction yeah i love that you said that because one of the most impactful things that i ever listened to when i started my journey was brene brown's ted talks and one of the things she talks about in her ted talks is that i don't care what anybody thinks is just as dangerous as i care what everybody thinks because we're human. We have to care, right? It's human nature for us to care. The question is what you do with that afterwards. So I love the way that you articulated this. So your book just recently came out. Um, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about podcasts. We talked about it a little bit with some social media stuff, but the book is huge. And what I mean by that is there is nothing scarier on this planet than taking the darkest and deepest parts of you and putting them out for the world to see and allowing yourself to accept whatever may come as a result of that because you know it's necessary for you to get yourself and your clients to the place where they need to be. You talked a little bit about the breakdowns in writing the book. Now that it's out and people are starting to read it, what's going on internally? Oof, it's terrible. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I have to brag for two seconds and you're going to laugh at this brag, but you know, I, I, I and it's do. not, you do. And, and you know me, I will happily uh, applaud my successes, but also if, Hey, if I fuck something up, like, Hey, I fuck this up and I'll laugh about it. Right. Um, the, the book, when it was released, the first day is released on Veterans Day this year. Um, book was released and it hit number one new release in uh, mental health, which is huge, and also number one new release in philosophy mythology. Oh wow! And, I, and I'm like, what philosophy? I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> um, so it, we're going to put me you laugh. right up there with Plato. Uh, you know, I might as well write a play now or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it made me laugh because there is. That is a very extreme dichotomy attached to how people are perceiving the book, right? And, you know, now that the book's out there, um, it's funny. My my girlfriend's mom just came over. It's her birthday today. And they went out to dinner while we're recording. And she's like, yeah, I was reading your book. I'm like, oh, shit. And that's my response. When everybody says, I read your book, I'm like, oh, shit. It is honestly, it's like, thank you for your service. I'm like, I don't know what to say in response to that. It's like, I don't. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, everything I did in my past. Uh, are you worried about your daughter now? Like there's so many different pieces. And I, and I had a book signing here in Atlanta, um, uh, about a week and a half ago. And it was the same thing. They got a couple copies of the book. It's funny. If you ordered one copy on Amazon, it delivered on prime the next day. If you order 150, like I did, because I was trying to fulfill the pre-sales, it takes three weeks. So <laughs> there are a couple people that didn't do a pre-sale and said they bought it. And by the time the book, uh, the book signing happened, we did a, uh, one of my clients has a podcast called the author's way. And we did a live recording of a podcast talking about the book in front of an audience, essentially. And I had about 50 people It's one of my monthly events that I host here. And, um, we had this 50 people in the audience and more than half of them had read the book. So when they started asking questions, they asked questions about, you said this in the book. And when this happened, I'm like, oh, you actually read the book. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't think anybody was going to read the book. Uh, it wasn't meant to be read. It was just meant to be, right? Yeah. That, honestly, it's such a surreal feeling because like, you know me, like I'm not an author. Like, come on now. It's crazy. You are now. I, told, I am now. And, and it's just like saying uh, for years, we've talked about this before. I'm not a creative. Mm -hmm. And by convincing myself I wasn't creative, I never realized how creative I actually was attached to things, right? Um, yeah. So recognizing now that I'm an author and I have a book out there and it's uh, it's out there and people are reading it and it's uh, had some really awesome sales attached to it. And I'm, I'm really surprised and it's hitting a couple of bookstores here in Atlanta local and it's like, holy cow, like it actually, <laughs> it's actually something. Um, but it turns into a lot of what we've talked about in the past. Once you better yourself. Right. I better myself like write a decent book. It was a book that needed to be written. It was not the book I intended to write, uh, but it was a book that I felt needed to come first. And uh, people are responding really well to it. And a lot of the feedback I'm getting is that they actually have a higher level of respect knowing what I've been through mm -hmm. and still come out on top and doing what I'm doing and still giving back. And uh, a lot of my clients that have read the book, you know, they've been clients for a year, year and a half since I moved back to Atlanta. And they're like, I have so much more respect for you knowing all this happened 18 months ago. And you're going through all of this while helping me build this, this, and this. Like, how the hell did you do that? I'm like, well, it wasn't about me. I, I you know, focused on you. Um, and I avoided a lot of the bullshit that I was dealing with, which is a whole different part of this conversation. But um, it's surreal. It's a really long-winded answer to say, holy shit. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and here's what's really interesting. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say this and know that you are um, at least like 13 states away. So you can't physically slap me. Um, I know a lot of people. <laughs> the reality <laughs> is when I met you, you and I were both in places. We we're in different parts of our healing journey. But I feel like we were both in a place where... We weren't ready to let people in completely yet. And so we approached life with this bulldozer, get the fuck out of my way attitude, right? We approached life in this, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it done. And then to see you embrace a softer side and to know that we've both made it to the other side of that, where we don't have to be the bulldozers. We get to show up. 
we get to be of service to others. We both still have that inner tiger that'll come out and, and, and fuck with you if you get in our way, right? But we don't lead with that anymore, which both of us did when we first met. And you couldn't have written this book if you were still the person that you were a year and a half ago, which I think is what impressed me the most about it. You know, and, and it's interesting as you say that, um, I, honestly, when we met, I was still oblivious. I hadn't even entered into the healing process yet. I was still avoiding it. The skeletons were still locked very tightly in the closet and I hadn't started going through the true downfall of, and, you know, we've talked a, a lot about vulnerability in the past and I thought vulnerability was being able to talk about Afghanistan. It was talking about, the operations, losing the guys, planning the stuff that got men killed and families broken. Uh, I thought that was the true vulnerability piece. And what I've recognized since is like the true vulnerability is what happened afterwards, not the six months afterwards. It was two years later when it all hit me and the lava started like boiling and the volcano exploded and the skeletons that were clawing at the, at the closet door, they kicked it open. And the the breakdown that happened attached to it and so many things that happened, that's the vulnerability. Talking through the piss in my mouth at the end of a dock, ready to go, um, the surgery, the uh, the alienating, the sabotaging, like all talking about all of that, that's vulnerability. Yeah. But beyond that, that wasn't even rock bottom. And rock bottom is really where the book picks up is like, here's the true rock bottom. People don't want to talk about this shit. Nope. People don't want to talk about what actually happened afterwards. Here's where I actually hit rock bottom. And it wasn't the suicide experience or the near suicide experience. It was so much beyond that. And it was when the realization and awareness hit that I'm like, oh, there's so much more to what's screwed up than I recognized. Um, and you're right. If I hadn't gone through all that, like none of this would be out here right now. Right. And it's it's uh, unsettling in a lot of ways. Uh, because now it's all out here. But uh, overall, it's one of those that needed to happen for myself, uh, but also for a lot of the people around me that now leading by example, I can call bullshit. Yeah, um, 100%. And it allows you to connect with a higher level of business owner and entrepreneur as well. And by higher level, I'm not talking about putting people on pedestals. I'm just talking about the amount of success that they've experienced because you can only get so far with a bulldozer mentality. Eventually you need other tools and resources to build, you know, and ex excavate and do what you want to do. Um, it was really interesting for me when I realized this, which is actually a fairly recent realization for me, that I um, had led with that. And I didn't, you're going back to your rock bottom. I say the same thing to people so many times. People think that the loss of my dad would be my rock bottom. And it wasn't even close because I had 15 years after the loss of my dad before I hit what I would consider my rock bottom. And it was the moment that I quit running from all of the problems and like faced them. And you put it perfectly saying when you realize there's so much more that needs to be dealt with than you ever could have imagined. All of a sudden you have this, this choice. Um, I hate it. Hate, hate. I'm going to use the word. I hate it when people say to me, I survived because I didn't have a choice. I want to drop kick them because there are a lot of people who had a choice and they made, they made the other one. And we are here because we made the choice to survive and to thrive and to get on the other side of that. And I really feel like that idea of, I didn't have a choice takes away the power of how amazing we are for making it through the things that we made it through. It's an, it's an interesting piece to unpack on that. Right. Um, there's a phrasing that I use that you hate. And <laughs> I'm getting it. better with it. We've argued about it so much. Um, you know, a phrasing I use is having the awareness and the realization. Finally, my turning point was realizing I'm, I'm broken. Um, I talk about it quite a bit in the book and using that phrasing, I am broken. And it's not that I as a whole am broken, right? It's not that I'm irreparable. Um, you look at the, a lot of people talk about integrity being a, a value and a virtue. And, and the realization is integrity isn't what a lot of people define it as integrity is actually operating as a whole, 
right? Mm -hmm. If you take one spoke out of a bicycle wheel, well, it no longer has the integrity to maintain what it was designed to do, right? So understanding like the broken piece for me was that I was lacking integrity with myself attached to what I really could be as a whole. Um, it is a really interesting shift, but it was empowering. You talked about not feeling like the power attached to you and the empowering piece attached to the decision-making process. And in reality, that's what it was. It was as simple as deciding to take action. I had the realization that I was broken. A lot of things led to that. And it wasn't a defeatist mentality. And for, so, for a lot of people, it won't correlate. But for mm -hmm. me, it's one of those, like, I had the realization I was broken. But as a man and the male mentality, the alpha male mentality on top of that, we fix things. And yeah. if you don't realize something's broken, you'll never take the action to fix it. So when I had that realization, it was actually a very, very empowering thought of like, oh, that's broken. Cool. Now I can fix it. And I actually got really excited about that because like, I now know I can do something about it. Whereas before I had zero awareness attached to what was happening, what was wrong, why I couldn't correlate, why I was sabotaging things, why I didn't have relationships, why I couldn't be happy. And I didn't understand that it was because something in my mind was broken and I could fix it. So I started yeah. filling myself with those pieces. And that was so empowering to me. Um, it, that shifted, truly shifted the, dy the dynamic of the healing process. What's so interesting about this, and I'll tell the story here in just a second, but what's so interesting about this is the fact that we're all going through our different journeys at different times and different things trigger us at different times. And this is where relationships go up and down because we often forget to step into what the other person is going through instead of arguing against them. And to back up just a little bit, it was you are probably, an attorney. That's like what you're good at. You know? It's it's true. Um, it's the reason that I connect so well with the bullshitter in you because that's what we do, right? Um, to go back about a year, I remember the moment that you told me I just realized that I was broken. And what was so interesting about that is I had just realized I wasn't. And it was the same thing. It's just that I realized that I had allowed myself to show up in situations expecting people to fix me. I had allowed myself to show up in situations where I completely gave away all of my personal power because I would get in a room with somebody and instead of showing up as the badass, amazing human being that I am that always brings something great to the table, I would shrink. And I know you saw it so much. I would walk into a room and I would completely shrink. And it was because I saw myself as somebody who needed to be fixed. And I had just moved past that and realized that I could allow people to teach me without feeling like I needed them to fix me. And then I get on this call with Zach and he says, I just realized that I'm broken. And I'm like, don't use that word. You're not broken, right? Because I had just gone through this. Well, what it did was it caused him to say, what the fuck are you lying to me for, right? Like all my... Uh, for the last little bit, everybody's been lying to me and telling me that I'm okay. And like, I'm telling you I'm not okay. And I think what's really cool is the ability when we step back and really analyze that situation to step outside of how we define words and step into how somebody else defines them so that we can understand how they're feeling, even if we disagree with it, because when we understand it, we can then help them through it rather than just trying to convince them that they shouldn't feel the way that they, that they feel. And it's funny. I remember this conversation between us so well, and, and that's hundred percent like words are so powerful and speaking powerfully, communicating powerfully is something I think we both do really well in our own respects where words mean so much. And even looking at like the pure definition of broken, um, it's it just simply defined as uh, having given up all hope and despairing, right? And recognizing, like, I was at that point, I'd given up all hope, yeah. but I could take the action attached to shifting that. Um, and a big piece of what you talked about is, is I felt like I'd been lied to by everybody. Um, going through the surgery, the nerve damage in my arm, um, it, it was so infuriating how many people told me it would all be okay or I'm okay. Nothing's wrong with me. Yeah. And I couldn't tie my shoes. 
And my immediate response was, then come fucking tie my shoes for me. If you think I'm so okay, come tie my goddamn shoes. And I would get so mad about it. Every time, oh, you're fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Well, fine as a, as a word in itself is not a powerful word. It is it's a very really soft not. word. It's a garbage word that we need to get rid of in our dictionary. And when people tell you you're fine, I know they meant well. But I wasn't in a mindset to accept that meaning well piece and accepted it for what it was. It was a lie, pure and simple. Like they didn't mean it to be. It's a nice little white lie. But the reality of it is, even to this day, like my arm hasn't healed fully. I can't play golf. I can't ride my motorcycle. I can't do things I couldn't do before. So the reality of it is, like, I'm not going to be okay as far as that arm goes. That is not going to heal to what it was before. What it doesn't mean is I can't rediscover different things yes. or discover new things that further enhance the capabilities that I didn't even have before. One of those being the piano and picking up, learning how to play the piano. I have fingers that are numb and that won't work. And my hand cramps. And I get super frustrated. And we had a storm here last night. My elbow was hurting. And like, there's so many things attached to a level of frustration. But the grace that I now have with myself is I can play the piano. And it's all based off of this lack of capability that was perceived by myself and being so angry at other people that I shifted that rhetoric. Oh, I'm broken. Okay, let me show you how unbroken I truly am or how I will be. And yeah. disprove that I wasn't fine. I'm so much better than fine. Stop telling me I'm fine right now. And that anger is one of those things that honestly led to a very big downfall that I, I needed um, for that realization. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things that this falls in the same category of I'm sorry for your loss and thank you for your service. And anything else that anybody has ever said because they're too uncomfortable to say what they really mean. You feel obligated. Is, you feel yeah. obligated to say that. Well, they and and there's something to be said for being able to sit in a room and you and I have been in this place in our friendship. And I think we still are where if I needed somebody to just be with me, you are one of the people that I would call. Somebody that <laughs> somebody where I didn't necessarily want something fixed. I just needed to know somebody was there. And in some of our darkest moments, that's what we need. Yet we as human beings, as you alluded to before, we fix things. And for so many people being in that room and not saying something to, to make it better and not doing something to make it better is so uncomfortable that it comes out as I'm sorry for your loss or everything's going to be okay. Like you're chastising. It came off yeah. very like you were chastising me of like, Oh, don't worry about it. Sport. It'll be good. Yeah. You'll be good. Oh. Like it's fine. And learning how to just, um, so I can't believe I'm going to say this. Um, uh -oh. I was listening. Sounds right. What is, what was I right about? Hang on. This is going to be good. No, you're not right. Um, Damn I was it. listening to Ben Shapiro and um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad this is recorded. Oh, wow. Um, Amazing. I'm listening to this interview with him and he's saying something and it makes so much sense. And I'm like, why the fuck have I not liked Ben Shapiro? And then I went to his website and I was like, oh, wait, that's why. But um, he was talking about these interactions he has with his wife. And he says, my wife will come to me and she starts, she started to learn that I am a problem solver. And so she'll come to me and she'll start talking and I'll be like, wait a second, before you start, is this a, I need a solution conversation or I need you to listen and say nothing conversation. And then I know how I'm going to show up to that. And the ability to say this of, you know, how do you want me to show up in this relationship? Am I the friend? Am I the coach? Or am I the brick wall that you need to talk to right now with no response because you just need to get some things off of your chest and then you're going to be okay. The ability to show up the way somebody else needs you to instead of the way that you need to to feel less uncomfortable is a game changer when it comes to relationships. So if anybody ever wants to hear me say Ben Shapiro said something smart, this is the only time it will come out of my mouth. And we, I, I want to say we had this conversation at one point, uh, but it's a, it's a great realization that I had um, in as a, as a coach with clients, as a man with uh, significant others, like 
asking that question simply, how do you want me to show up for this? And we go into fix it mode. You being a mindset person, like you being focused mm-hmm. in NLP and coaching people, like we go into this coaching mindset. Oh, I can help with that. Because the solution's give, so clear when you're not is. in the problem. Te- technically, yes. But then you become more of the problem when you give unsolicited mm-hmm. advice. And it's like, oh, thanks so much. I didn't need that right now. And I'm super guilty of it. Um, and then uh, in a lot of my personal relationships, my personal relationships are a lot of client relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Or they're small business owners. The world we're in, right? I'm around a bunch of people that run businesses. I just happen to have a level of success that might uh, be able to give advice to that, right? And yeah. I have to catch myself. I'm like, do you want to be coached right now? Or are you just trying to bitch and moan right now? And yeah. I might not say bitch and moan, but the reality of it is like, do you just want to complain? That's what it is, yeah. Do you want to just complain because it feels better? Or do you want me to help you take action? And when I started applying that to my personal life and, and my dating life, um, it, that was a shift. And uh, the young woman I'm dating right now, uh, her nickname is Daddy Tay. And <laughs> she literally, everybody calls her daddy and everybody calls me mommy. And it is, a, it is a an ongoing fit. joke. Such a great fit. Um, but what I, what I recognized, I first really in a relationship used that with her. She was the first girl I, I cared enough about to say, how do you want me to show up here? Um, and, and it, it took her back. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know how you want me here. Do you want me to give you advice? Do you want me to like give you feedback? Do you want me to just sit here and listen? Cause I kept catching myself coaching people and too often coaches are the most guilty of coaching too much. And just like, I feel like therapists are sometimes the ones that have the biggest issues in life. Um, we, we are guilty of it. And sometimes we're the most guilty of it. So yeah. to think that somebody deserves our advice without hiring us for it. Right. Um, it, it, it was a very big guilt I took into the personal life where that comes off as chastising that comes off yeah. as like, I'm better than you. I know better than you. And in reality, like that was not a great way to approach anybody, but especially a, a woman because y'all are yeah. crazy. And when I told hey. you what you should do, no denial, like be offended all you want, but you didn't deny it. Right. And when I tell you what you need to do, how does that feel toward you? Yeah. Right. So it's one of those, there's a great recognition for me in that communication space. Well, and the more that people, you know, there are people who are listening to this podcast that are in all parts of personal development journeys. There are people who are just figuring out what it is. And then there are people who have been doing this for years and years and have multiple certifications. And the more you get involved in this and the more that the people that you surround yourself with are high level business owners and entrepreneurs, the more that everybody around you is qualified to give you an opinion on the problem that you're talking about. And you're 100% right. Sometimes you just don't want one. And there are times that I will call my coaching friends who happen to be a friend and I'll be like, listen, I'm not ready for a solution yet. I just need to get this off my chest. And then they'll listen and they won't say anything because there's nothing to say because I've already told them that I'm not ready for a solution. Like it's, it's the reality. So first of all, where can people find your book? Amazon, a uh, great spot for it. Um, a quick and easy spot, Zach A. Knight, Z-A-C-K-A Knight.com. Uh, that'll direct you to the book, direct you to all my other ventures and whatnot, but it is available on Amazon. Um, I would say, as a selfish plug, leave a review, five stars. If you don't like the book, don't leave a review, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, second question. Mm-hmm. Somebody's reading the book. They've never had any interaction with you. They don't know who Zach is. They don't know your story. What is the number one thing you hope people take out of what you've put on paper? Mm. Um, Saying there's hope is such a canned answer. Um, What, what I really want is for people to see that there are steps. Mm. Um, there are tactics, you know me, tactics and, and, and really focusing on that. And, and there are so many different levels of operation from strategic to operational to tactical, tactical really focusing on in the trenches, right? The stuff that most of us do every single day, our heads down, we're working hard, we're busting our ass, doing everything tactical in the day-to-day part of our lives. 
And I wanted to break this book down. There are QR codes throughout the book. There's a, a community piece attached to what I've done where I've put examples and videos. And, and there's a lot of people talking about different pieces of the book where we're sharing tactics. And at its pure definition of tactic, it's like an actionable step. Yeah. So I want people to like take away, like, here are the tactics. Uh, it's not you go to the gym one day and you, and you walk out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't do one rep and leave. Um, there are tactics involved to taking action steps for you to move forward in your life, whether it's personally, professionally, uh, understanding that leading yourself is, is the best way to start leading others. Um, that's really what this book is about is that self mastery piece. And, and I really hope people see the tactics attached to it. It's like, here are the action steps, uh, that worked really well for me. If they don't work for you, hand the book off to a veteran, hand it off to somebody going through some shit. Um, don't keep the book on your bookshelf. Just keep passing it along because I, I think paying it forward and, and sharing tactics are the way that we can all get better. Yeah, I love that. And then somebody's listening to this and they say, man, this Zach guy is not completely full of shit. And I'd like to have another conversation with him. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Uh, reach out to my publicist, Amber Furman. You can reach her at amberfurman.com <laughs> now. Um, no, uh, uh, same way. You can find me, Zach A. Knight, C-A-C-K-A-K-N-I-J-H-T, across all social media. I'm constantly on LinkedIn, my website. There's so many different avenues there. Uh, shoot me a message, DM me. Um, I always say, don't tell people to go follow your social media. Uh, it's like the worst call to action ever. And I, I teach clients, don't do that. So um, that's the possibility. You can find me and see what I'm doing across all of those pieces. But the reality of the situation is like, go to my website. Go to beatacticalleader.com, go into the community space. You know, I'm not going to say buy the book, you should, uh, but go see the conversations that are being had. Because at the end of the day, there's somebody that you know that is dealing with some shit that you don't know about. And they need to see the conversations. They need to see that they're not alone. They need to see the pieces and the tactics attached to what we're all going through right now to be better in general. Uh, so the big piece is go to the website. Join the join the group, join the conversation and, and be a part of something that's moving people forward. I love that. All right. Before we wrap up, I have to ask, I um, mentioned to you before we went on, and I think that I also mentioned in the intro that I used to ask people on this podcast what their definition of success was. And that recently shifted because I realized that Everybody has an individual definition of success, and that's great, and we get to focus on that. However, for every definition of success we have, everybody also has 17 different excuses in their bullshit box of why they can't achieve that success. So I want to know for you, what was the most surprising excuse for you that you uncovered along your journey that you didn't realize you were using as an excuse? I talk a lot about betting on myself. And I talk a lot about uh, loving me some me, right? I make a joke out of it almost. Um, the reality is the excuse I use the most that I didn't recognize is that I didn't love myself. And in the first couple of paragraphs, I talk about the legacy of love. It's not a Nicholas Sparks book, mm -hmm. right? It's not a love story uh, about falling in love with your, your true person. It's about falling in love with yourself again. And I think the biggest piece, are, and for me, honestly, fall in love with myself for the first time and recognizing different pieces. Um, so for me, the biggest excuse that I didn't recognize is that I truly didn't love myself and I couldn't look myself in the mirror and I couldn't see myself even contemplating what success was, nonetheless living what success was. And until I had that realization that I truly didn't love who I was and what I was about and wasn't in alignment with who I needed and should be. Um, I, I knew I couldn't find a level of success. So for me, it was just simply like the excuse was I didn't deserve it. Yeah. And I, I would never see that piece of success. And I had to change that inner voice to, Hey bro, you, you deserve it. And you're amazing because X, Y, and Z and the affirmations came out and the journaling came out and it, it, it was really a, a journey of self-discovery and it well, really helped yeah. me shift that. I love this so much because I remember a conversation where 
um, you and I were talking about a tagline I used to have, which was um, live the life that you've dreamed of, desired and deserve. And you were like, I fucking hate that deserve word. Mm -hmm. You're like, I hate it when people say they deserve this because it's so entitled. And so to hear you say that you know that you deserve it, I think is incredible. I don't know if I deserve it. I mean, I still hate that word, right? Um, no, and it's not given to you, like recognizing no, that piece. No, like, no. None of it was given. Just because um, you deserve... deserve something doesn't mean that it's supposed to be handed to you. It just means that you have the right to earn it and you have the right to have it. And when you earn it, you deserve to keep it. And, and that was the big piece for me, right? Like I had to recognize, like I busted my ass to get where I was and scale the companies and be be a, a literal on paper success right but i never recognized like i did all that so that i could be successful yes so understanding that uh nobody gave me a a level of success that i i asked for i went out and i busted my ass so hell yeah i deserve it yeah, <laughs> hell yeah at this point like putting in the reps right and i'm gonna keep putting in the reps and that's the big piece is wanting to live life long enough to put in the reps i love it Zach, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated it. Um, it's been great to catch up with you. Um, it seems lately with as busy as we both are that the only time we seem to be able to have a conversation is if we're recording. So we may need to do this a little bit more often. Yeah. Uh, be blessed. Your greatest guest ever has come back. Um, <laughs> so y'all are welcome. Now, joking aside, uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I love talking with you about this stuff because you're the one that uh, has bought me upside the head long enough that I, I kind of finally go in the right direction. Um, so thank you for all the concussions. And, you're uh, very welcome. And thank you for it, having me. It is not a one way street on the um, concussions for sure. We have definitely <laughs> had some real conversations. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.